Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and in studio we have none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh uh, to you and the listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Sheikh, shukran once again for joining us in studio this evening. And you know you can send through your questions through to the SMS line 47913. Alternatively, send me an email, J-A-S-M-I-N-A at vocfm.co.za Sheikh, some of the questions that came through us says, Assalamu alaikum Sheikh I recently got myself into a lot of debt and I feel I can't cope Is there any dua one can recite to make paying off my debt process easier? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Yes, of course, uh, there are some uh, duas that have been uh, given to us by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and before I, I mean some of those du'as of course uh, we should also uh, just be mindful of the fact that uh, debt you know is something that we should try to, to stay clear from as far as we possibly can because it can become quite a big burden in our lives and uh, very often people go into debts because they want to have certain things which they cannot afford at the moment and so on so they put themselves in that difficulty so one must think very carefully whether that is a good option or not and uh, there's in fact uh, you know indication also in the that one should uh, try to refrain and ask Allah to keep you away from debt because it it, it becomes a very difficult uh, burden but uh, there is in fact uh, a dua with the Prophet sallallahu had advised somebody who was sitting in the masjid uh, and he was one of the people of the Ansar and the Prophet asked him why he's sitting in the masjid um, <coughs> his name is Abu Umama and the Prophet sallallahu asked him why he was sitting there and he said Humumun lazimatni wa ya Rasulullah he says it is worries that had overcome me and also debt I've, 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 I have a lot of debt and the Prophet then asked him shouldn't I tell you something that you could recite that perhaps would relieve for you your difficulty that you are in he says, yes, please uh, advise me, O Prophet of Allah. And the Prophet wasallam said to him, in the mornings and in the evenings, you should recite this dua. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. Oh Allah, I seek your protection against worries and 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 grief I ask your protection against uh, incapacity and laziness I, I ask your uh, protection against cowardice and uh, stinginess or niggardliness and I ask your protection against debt overpowering of debt and also the overpowering of men um, so this is obviously a very good dua that a person should recite in the mornings and in the evenings um, and inshallah with sincerity and uh, with consciousness of heart when recited inshallah Allah Ta'ala will bring relief but as I mentioned earlier we also try to uh, organize our lives in such a way that we try to move away from debt as far as we possibly can and be satisfied with what Allah has given us and live on a level which is suitable for our incomes and suitable for our uh, jobs that we have etc but recite this dua inshallah we are confident that Allah ta'ala will bring some relief to you uh, if you do this dua I'll just repeat it once more Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan wa a'udhu bika min al-ajasi wal-kasal wa a'udhu bika min al-jubni wal-bukhil wa a'udhu bika min ghalabati al-dayn wa qahri Rijal. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. This is Assalamu Alaikum, Sheikh. I would like to know what is the duty of the husband because my husband is always moaning when he needs to buy groceries, when we run short or cease to things such as the electricity bill and the rates and so forth. I do purchase groceries for the month, but at times we run out of items which I don't have the money for. I asked him to see to it just so that I can save up my money towards my future goals, such as driving and so forth he does not support this he said to me that he must give out money whilst my savings jar gets much more fuller 
kind yeah. advice. Yeah, this is something with, uh, that always happens, you know, if there is no uh, planning from the couple's side. Uh, financially, the, the couple should be planning, you know, what they are doing in their household, and there must be a common understanding as to how they are going to facilitate the money that they have and the income and so on. Um, and communication is very important. It's important that husband speaks to wife and they sit down and they work out actually a plan of action, how to actually uh, go about in the expenses and in the day-to-day running of the household. Uh, primarily speaking about the duties of the husband, it is his duty obviously to uh, look at all the basic necessities that is needed in the house. So for example, the electricity, the water, the uh, basic groceries, um, you know, paying for the rent if it's a rental, uh, all of that is actually the duties of the husband. You know, he should provide for all those facilities uh, to the best of his ability. But nothing stops them from assisting one another. And in any marriage, you know, there should be a common goal and there should be uh, cooperation between the husband and wife. So we should not uh, be in a marriage just for ourselves and just think about ourselves, but it should be for the greater good of the entire family. So whatever savings I have, whatever plan I put out, there must be consultation with the other spouse. And also we should work together to reach those goals. And sometimes uh, it's not a matter of competing, you know, I'm doing this, so you should also be doing that. It's a matter of having a good understanding, you know, who takes care of what and how to proceed as far as that is concerned. And it is only through that that we are able to survive within our marriages. We know times are very tough. Uh, Very often it is not uh, easy for the husband alone to see to everything. So if the wife is working, obviously it would be uh, kind of her to to also uh, assist where she can. And all of this is important to make the marriage a successful one. So uh, my, my advice is please sit down, do speak about your expenditures, speak about your plans, speak about your savings and help each other. Don't work against each other because at the end of the day it's for the greater good for your family and not for you as an individual. And inshallah if you do that uh, you should obviously uh, be able to see light at the end of the day. And uh, yes it is the husband's duty as I said to look at the basic necessities. So also the wife should be understanding that she should not make demands that is greater than what is necessary or greater than what the husband can afford you know those are also important points to take into consideration whenever we are having these discussions shukran so much for that sheikh the voice of sheikh ibrahim moore send through your questions for seven nine one three alternatively you can email me jasmina at vocfm.co.za some of the other questions coming through sheikh says assalamu alaikum sheikh how do i advise my daughters to dress properly as i fear the wrath of allah for them you know, this is something that uh, many parents are facing nowadays, uh, the challenges of uh, raising teenagers and um, guiding them on the straight path and keeping them in uh, in the perimeters that is set out to us by Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet wasallam. And so you as a parent, you have to play that uh, active role of at all times being hands-on and speaking to them and encouraging them. And uh, because of the outside influences, the media, the television, the movies, uh, all of that has an impact on how our, our you see things and how they interact with things. Uh, one of the things you must remember is that we are living in an information age. So your, your teenagers are privy to a lot of things on the internet and on their phones and so on. So when you speak to them about hijab or you speak to them about uh, you know how to wear and how to dress modestly, make it as logical as possible for them. You know, tell them the reasons why they are doing it. Make it uh, you know uh, for them to understandable. Uh, in the previous times, it was easy for parents just to tell children do this. You know, and don't question me and don't ask why. Uh, I think that time is, 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 is gone because children will get information and they will be uh, wanting to know reasons for things. So uh, go out of your way in trying to explain to them the rationale behind why we do these things. And... Uh, Another point is do not wait until they become teenagers. This is something that we should already speak to them about when they are younger than that. When they are not yet even mukallaf, we begin to speak. And I always say that a good role model in the house is always the best teacher. It's not necessarily for you to say everything, but the, the way that you live your life as a parent, that will also help and assist in getting the message across. And uh, um, another point that I would like to make is that w- when speaking about dressing and hijab and all of that, this is not uh, something which is isolated. 
disconnected or which is disconnected with the personality and the identity of the person. So uh, it should not be an issue where you just uh, harp on the hijab and the dress code, but the other uh, avenues of spirituality is actually being uh, overlooked. It should be a full package. So when you speak to your daughter and you are inculcating good values in her, in them, if they are daughters in your house, make sure that you, you give her uh, you know, a good background in terms of the importance of the relationship that they should have with Allah Ta'ala. This is very important because once they have that connection with Allah Ta'ala, it's very easy for you to then tell them or to uh, encourage them to do certain things like hijab, etc. And also good company. Make sure that they're always in the company of friends that can have a positive influence over them. This also makes it extremely uh, more conducive for them to actually fall in line and to do that which is pleasing to Allah. So make sure that the company that they keep and actively get for them, you know, the friends and circles in which they mix uh, that can have a, a positive influence on them. And inshallah through those things, hopefully Allah will make the task easy. It is a difficult task, but it is doable inshallah with our iman that is in our hearts and our consistency. Allah Ta'ala will further guide us to do the right thing. And we make dua that Allah guides uh, our youth inshallah. I mean, shukran so much for that, Sheikh. For now, we break for an ad, and when we come back, we'll continue with your program questions and answers, and you can still send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, you can send me an email, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. We'll be back right after this. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM with your program questions and answers. I'm your host, Jasmina Peterson, and answering all of your questions this evening, we have none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moes in studio. Send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, send through an email, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. The following question reads as follows Sheikh says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I have been making my Asr Salah exactly like the Dhuwar and Ishai Salah with the two Sunnah Raka'ats at the end. I recently found out that Asr does not have two Sunnah Raka'ats at the end. Was this very wrong as far as punishment is concerned? Does another Madhab have those Raka'ats in Asr Salah? Shukran. No, there are no uh, Madhahib or no views that say that there is a Sunnah Salah that comes after Asr. We know the only Sunnah Salahs for Asr are Sunnah Salahs that are before the Far Salah of Asr and that is according to some uh, Hadith two rak'ahs and according to other ahadith four rak'ahs that can be done before asr but as to sunnah salah is done after asr there is no um, indication of that um, the only time that a person can make sunnah rak'ahs after asr is if a person let's say is paying in uh, a sunnah salah that he missed beforehand like for dhuwar or like that he can pay it in after asr there shouldn't be a problem in that but there is not an instituted sunnah after asr as far as uh, you are asking in terms of uh, is it a very bad thing will you be punished for it in Inshallah, we are hopeful that Allah Ta'ala will uh, look positively at this and Allah Ta'ala won't punish you because you didn't do it intentionally, you did it unknowingly. Uh, but of course, we also need to stress the importance of seeking knowledge and uh, you know finding out the right thing, especially as far as our salah and our daily activities are concerned. There are many classes that uh, are to be found in our city, uh, in all suburbs and at all masajid. So one should uh, attend classes and uh, educate ourselves, obviously, on these matters. But uh, Inshallah, uh, I, I, I am hopeful that Allah Ta'ala will overlook you know this uh, particular uh, issue of yours uh, we make dua that that is the case uh, but yes there is no sunnah sunnah rak'ahs that are actually ascribed after the salah of of asr shukran so much for that sheikh the following question reads as follows this is assalamu alaikum is it permissible to have a fundraising function to go on umrah as this seems to be the trend of late yeah my personal view on this issue is that uh, if it is for people that are really underprivileged who would not otherwise be able to go on Hajj or, or on Umrah, then of course it is a noble thing to do something to enable them to go, right? So if it is for that kind of uh, category of people, then inshallah there should not be any um, objection against it. However, should this become a trend, should we, each person who wants to go Umrah, should they have a fundraiser to do so? No, that is not required and it's not recommended because we know we must work for our uh, Umrah and for our Hajj if we wanted to go. 
and uh, we must save up for it and uh, that is why the whole point of uh, Allah Ta'ala saying man istata'a ilaykum man istata'a ilay sabila those who are able to to go on hajj they should go so it becomes an obligation only if you are able to go right so we should not uh, make this a, a habit or let's say a trend where for every person who wants to go he has a uh, um, a function or an eat and treat or something like that but even is for underprivileged people uh, that otherwise would not be able to afford it then inshallah I'm sure that that would be something which is uh, okay and that uh, is acceptable and at least that person will also have the ability to see the Baytullah and to fulfill some of the duties towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but that is uh, personally I feel that is the limit to which it should be uh, extended to and one should not make it a general rule to say that it is uh, something that we should encourage at all times uh, but rather we should then uh, just to uh, like we conventionally save up for other things we should be saving up for Umrah and for Hajj as well uh, if we look at the amount of things that we buy and the th- types of money that we spend on certain things we are able to, to, to save for ourselves and to strive for ourselves to actually reach those goals and that is actually the proper way and it becomes so much more rewarding if you have worked very hard for that money you know we know so many times of people that had sold uh, samosas or kusistas for many many years and Allah granted them to go for Hajj and for Umrah it is such a rewarding thing to know that that person for a very long time had sacrificed in order to stand in front of the Baytullah and this is the origin this is how it should be that one should of course uh, strive uh, towards that particular particular goal inshallah Shukran so much for that Sheikh 47913 is the SMS line in which you can send through your questions this evening for Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio to answer all of your questions the following question came through Sheikh says Assalamu Alaikum Sheikh what is the meaning of the word Ya Dayan and Yahoo the two words that are referred to uh, the first one is Ad-Dayan and Ad-Dayan is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, what it basically means is the one who will uh, take account and give reward for people uh, according to the actions on the day of Yom Al-Qiyamah right that's why we say uh, in Surah Fatiha we say Maliki Yawmiddin Allah is the master of the day of judgment the word Deen there does not refer to religion but the word Deen refers to judgment so Dayan and Deen comes from the same root so Dayan is the one who will obviously take account on the day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah and that is obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the other word that is mentioned is the word who which is obviously a pronoun huwa huwa literally means he he right so is this uh, a name of Allah can you call and say uh, call unto Allah by using the word who is that possible or not Um, some scholars have uh, taken it to be possible and they take it from the fact that this hadith that speaks about uh, what we call al-ismul a'zam al-ismul a'zam certain hadith show that Allah has a special name that should you call unto Allah Ta'ala by that name then Allah Ta'ala will uh, accept your du'as and accept your prayers now what exactly is that name what is the al-ismul a'zam what is the greatest name of Allah Ta'ala Imam Suyuti one of the great scholars of Islam he has written a small treatise uh, called al-durrul munazzam fil ismil a'zam it is a book specifically dedicated to uh, ascertaining what is the greatest name of Allah Ta'ala that you should invoke in order for your du'as to be accepted and in this book he mentions 20 different views and versions what it could possibly be it could be perhaps the word Allah it could be the word uh, al-jalali wal-ikram dhul-jalali wal-ikram it could be al-hayyul qayyum uh, it could be al-rahman al-rahim and he gives a lot of different options and all the options that he give is he says that the ismul a'zam according to some scholars and he ascribes it to another great scholar by the name of imam fakhruddin al-razi he says that one of the names of allah that is a great name that you can invoke when you make dua is the name who Huwa. And it is taken from verses of the Quran. If you look at Surah Al-Ikhlas, Allah Ta'ala says to us, Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Say he, Allah is one. Now if you look at that construction, Allah could have just say, Allah could have said in this ayah, Say Allah is one. Qul Allahu ahad. Say Allah is one. But Allah Ta'ala put that pronoun in there and it is called Damiru Sha'an in the Arabic language. Damiru Sha'an. It's like a pronoun that gives status or that gives importance. So here Allah Ta'ala says, Qul huwa 
Allahu Ahad. Say he, Allah is one. So according to Imam Suyuti and others, this word huwa can also constitute one of the names that you can invoke and that you can call on when you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the view not of all scholars, but of some scholars, including Imam Suyuti, Imam Fakhruddin al-Razi, and others. So that is the meaning of ya huwa, when you actually invoke the name of Allah ta'ala, which is huwa. And the other one is ad-dayyan, also a name of Allah ta'ala to be invoked when you make dua. That is obviously acceptable. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The voice there of Sheikh Ibrahim was on your program questions and answers this evening. For now we break for ads and when we come back we'll continue with the program. Stay tuned. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is your program Questions and Answers right here on 91.3 FM. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and answering all of your questions this evening, we have in studio none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moose. You can send through your questions through to SMS 47913. Alternatively, you can email me, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Sheikh, the following questions that came through it says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I am 61 years old, been through menopause since 52 years. Years. It stops straight away. I'm now spotting little bits of blood and does not show on my underwear. But I have to wipe and wash myself in between, but it's not flowing. Do I have to take a huzzle every time I see this daily? Shukran. Yeah, yeah it depends uh, if, of course, the spotting is uh, an amount that uh, would con- be considered hayd, then uh, you should then wait uh, the period of hayd that you would have waited normally uh, and not make salah during that time. And then after that particular time, you would then take a huzzle and make your salah and everything else as normal. So how does one judge? Uh, the scholars say that uh, the amount of spotting that you see, if it amounts to, if it is all put together and it amounts to a flow that uh, would have taken place in ordinary circumstances, that amount to 24 hours of flow, that amounts to a day and a night of flowing, right? If it's uh, all the spotting is put together and it amounts to a day and a night, then of course you can consider it as hayd, right? Which means you must wait your ordinary days out and take a ghusl after that. Uh, but if it is much less than that, and I get the feeling this is the case here, it is much less uh, because it's not really spotted on clothing and so on. Uh, so if that is the case, then uh, most likely it is not hayd. It is just uh, what we call istihada. It is uh, uh, blood that is spotted due to some weakness or some illness and so on. And in that case, you don't need to take a ghusl for it, but you need to cleanse yourself for each waqt of salah. Uh, to take a special hudu for each salah as well and not take hudu before the waqt is in but rather after the adhan has gone off that is the time that you take your hudu and for each salah so not a a ghusl that is needed but just a proper cleaning before you make your salah is what is needed if it is very little and it does not amount accumulatively to a day and a night of ordinary flow that you would have had if that is the case then a ghusl is is not needed Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question coming through is, says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I just want to ask one question. Why must the Muslim lay so long in the morgue? Can't the Sheikh Malana Imam make a plan? It really, it's really not right that the body lays so long. Shukran. Yeah, this is a, a recent problem that uh, we have uh, encountered here in the Western Cape. Before, we, n- we never, had to, uh, never had this problem. And it is basically from the department side, uh, government side, that things uh, have been uh, sort of backlogged and stuff like that and I remember last year there was quite a bit of an issue around this and people signed petitions and the Muslim Judicial Council was also involved you know in trying to put pressure on government to improve the situation and it all stems down to the fact that there was some backlogs due to uh, staff being too little and facilities being too little and and such a big amount of deaths that occurred on one and so sometimes uh, it had taken a very long time and I think the final thing that the conclusion that they came to was that the body should not be laying long than 48 hours, um, uh, which is basically two days. I think that is the agreement they came to uh, towards the, uh, I think, beginning of this year still, uh, that was the kind of agreement. I don't know if anything has changed up until then, but it, uh, up until now rather, I think it's more to do with, uh, again, a backlog, uh, you know, that had occurred. And yes, it is not right, uh, but if it's beyond our uh, means, you know, and out of our hands, then there's nothing that we could do. But if we can put pressure like we did the first time and it becomes a problem, we can obviously sign petitions 
politicians and we can obviously put pressure on the government very uh, various government bodies to do something about it and then that is what we should do if it will make a, a, a difference but I know it is a problem that have occurred uh, since last year but there has been some improvement uh, towards the beginning of this year I know as I said the agreement that came in that uh, it shouldn't be laying more than 48 hours and I don't know if that is still the status quo but uh, inshallah hopefully you know there will be some improvement even on top of that where it will be even quicker than that inshallah inshallah shukran so much for that Sheikh. the following question reads I say salam if you're on the bus on your way and it's asr and you can't do your salah on the bus sitting and doing the actions even if it even if I come home before Maghrib. Yeah, the reason why a salah will not be valid if it is done in the way that you are described is for a number of reasons. Uh, one, one is that it is not fulfilling the uh, conditions of the correctness of the salah. One of the conditions of the correctness of salah is that you must of course face the Qibla. And you driving in a bus, the bus is not going according to the Qibla or in the direction of the Qibla all the time. And so uh, that means that you are making salah uh, in a manner that is not, not compliant with its conditions and its integrals so that is one issue the other issue that also comes up here is that you know that your fart salah you have to do it uh, in a position where you are standing if you are able to stand meaning there's nothing wrong with your legs you're not sick you don't have back problems or issues like that then you must make uh, actually what is called qiyam qiyam means the standing position becomes an integral of the salah so that is also another issue that is problematic when you are sitting in a bus for example right so there's two main things that you are not complying with one is the qibla and the other one is standing which should be done for the fard salah okay so that is why you are not allowed to make salah in that particular state so uh, you say here uh, that you, you do come home before maghrib so inshallah if you come home before maghrib even if it is just by a few minutes then it is fine you can still do your asr salah and that asr salah will be completely intact it will be an ada'an it won't be qada'an it won't be out of its time and uh, I will push the limits even further for you and say to you that let's say you make Salatul Asr and while you are making Salatul Asr the Adhan goes off does that mean that your, your waqt is now nullified and it is Qadaan and you have to make it over if you've received or if you've managed to do at least one raka'ah of Asr before the Adhan of Maghrib had gone off then inshallah that Salah is intact you can continue the Salah even though the Adhan is going off for Maghrib and that Salah will still be Adhan if however you did not get at least one raka'ah before the Adhan of Maghrib then in that case unfortunately that Salah will now be considered a qada and salah and not a salah that is done in its time okay so you have really um, you have uh, a, a opportunity a window of opportunity to do your asr salah in its time right up until almost the adhan of maghrib and if you do that inshallah your salah will be intact and adhan and it won't be a a, a missed prayer or make a prayer so that is what should be done and the salah in the bus as you describe would not be valid for a fard salah you can however perform sunnah salah on a bus if you let's say you have and you wanted to make sunnah salahs the Prophet sometimes used to make salah on his camel while he was traveling okay but that is sunnah salah only but for uh, compulsory salahs they have specific uh, rules and regulations and conditions that must be met in order for it to be deemed valid shukran so much for that Sheikh. the following question reads says assalamu alaikum Sheikh. can a woman wear black clothes to a wedding shukran there are uh, absolutely no prescriptions as far as colors are concerned going to any function going to a wedding going to whatever place you want to go the sharia does not prescribe to you what colors you should be wearing uh, but what the sharia does say is that what, whatever you wear it must always be that as a woman you should dress modestly your aura must be covered as required and um, you know it should not be in a way that reveals any part of the aura and if that is fulfilled then of course you, you are above board uh, regardless of the color now we find the color black for example is a color that is customarily worn in some of the Middle Eastern countries let's say they they like to wear black like in the Emirates like in Saudi Arabia and those places the, the color black is like a very popular for women and they don't very often wear other colors okay that is their culture that is their custom it's fine but it's not a rule that you have to wear black if you look at West Africa for example and Central Africa and even North Africa to a certain extent you will find that their colors are much more brighter you know women don't wear black only they wear bright colored clothing even in Egypt for that matter I've seen women you know and that is their culture and as long as the aura is covered and as long as uh, modesty is displayed the Sharia does not prescribe as to what color you should be wearing even in the issue of Janazah some people think that you must wear black mm. right it's not a rule there's no rule that states you must wear black 
Okay, although you can wear black, it's fine. But you can also wear other colors for a janazah. It's not a must and a compulsory act that you must wear black. So those are uh, some guidelines as far as that is concerned. So our women folk, you know, they have obviously leeway to do as they please as long as it is within the prescriptions as we have uh, discussed. Shukran so much, Sheikh. The SMS line once again, 47913. Alternatively, email me, J-A-S-M-I-N-A at vfcfm.co.za for your questions to come through. Now, the following question I came through, it says, Assalamu alaikum. I wanted to find out whether it is permissible to order food via a delivery service like Mr. Delivery. For example, I'd be ordering food from a halal restaurant and my non-Muslim friend may be ordering from an analal food like pork from another restaurant. But the delivery service uses the same bag when delivering the food. So basically, the food is situated next to each other in the same closed space, just in separate styrofoam containers which aren't completely closed, like an A-stream or a steam of analal food could be mixed with that food of the halal food. Yeah, this is an interesting question and uh, it is something that uh, could occur. Um, uh, the issue here is whether the steam that actually comes from food that is unhalal or anything that is uh, that is najis or that is impure, does the steam also itself become najis itself? Is it also impure? And this is actually something which the scholars have discussed. Believe it or not, our scholars have discussed this in the books of fiqh. And uh, we find that uh, the Shafiris, for example, I'm quoting from a book called Mughni al-Muhtaj, uh, the, the author of this kitab, well-known Shafi scholar, he says, The steam that comes off from najis would be considered najis also, but if it is a little, then it will be overlooked. Right? If it's a small quantity, then we won't give any attention to it. It will consider it okay and pure. And then we find a quotation from one of the compendiums on fiqh, uh, just uh, to give an insight on the other madhahib on this issue. Uh, it says here in the Mawsu'ah uh, Al-Kuwaitiyah, which is a Kuwaiti publication of an uh, uh, encyclopedia of, of, of fiqh. It says here, فَذَهَبَ الْحَنَفِيَّةُ عَلَى الْمُفْتَابِهِ وَالْمَالِكِيَّةُ فِي الْمُعْتَمَدِ وَبَعْضُ الْحَنَابِلَةِ إِلَىٰ أَنَّ دُخَانَ النَّجَاسَةِ authentic view in the Hanafi madhab as well as in the Maliki madhab and it is also a view in the Hanbali madhab which means almost like the majority of scholars they say that the steam that comes off from Najis is not considered Najis but it is actually pure it is considered pure because it is not a substance as such it is not something which contaminates as such so if this is the case then of course there is no issue in that uh, being in the same container or being in the same rather uh, bag in which the food is, is carried and also I'm quite uh, confident that when the food is carried like that, I don't think it is quite accurate to say it's only in styrofoam, because what I've seen is they put it in plastics as well, they cover it up quite uh, quite well and so on. Otherwise it would obviously spill out, it would fall out and it cause uh, other problems. So uh, I think it is not an issue really to, to be very concerned about, because the steam itself as you said, there's difference of opinion whether it is actually najis or not, and what we've seen is most of the scholars say that we don't consider that steam to be najis at all, but we consider it, we consider it actually to be pure, like any other pure substance. Allah knows best. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads, it says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is hypnosis and hypnotherapy allowed in Islam? Yeah, this is something which uh, depends obviously on what is done when hypnosis and hypnotherapy takes place. And as far as what I've read, a little bit of what I've, I've read about it is that it is actually a field that is developing within the medical field and in the psychology field and so on. And uh, they consider it actually as a legitimate means of treating patients. And if it is got to do with enhancing your memory or going back into your memory banks and stuff like that and using that as a means for you to overcome certain difficulties and some, some uh, um, fears that you have and so on, there should be no objection as far as that is concerned because it is like any other treatment that is given to any other illness that is to be found. And there is actually a hadith that says that Allah does not send a illness except that he sends with it a cure. And so this could be a cure if the means that is uh, that is actually uh, used for this is within the ambits of the Sharia. In this case, all that they do is they tap into your memory and in the enhanced state of your memory, your subconscious mind, and they actually allow you to overcome certain things. People that smoke, for example, there has been like some uh, indication of success that people can overcome the, the urge of smoking by using the subconscious mind. So if this is what happens, then there is uh, absolutely no problem. And in fact, uh, I've read that the British Psychological Society had actually commissioned a study in the 
year 2001 to actually find out whether this uh, is actually a method of helping people and curing people and so on and they found enough evidence have been accumulated to suggest that the inclusion of hip, 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 hypnosis or hypnotherapy procedures may be beneficial in the management and the treatment of a wide range of conditions so if that is the case there should not be any problem I think where people have had concerns is uh, if let's say the hypnotherapist uses other means which is perhaps not allowed let's say he uses the issue of uh, gin you know using the gin also to assist and this apparently is also something that some people do they call unto some gin to assist and and all, all sorts of things related to that and obviously if that is the case then that is a, a ground that we should not obviously entertain uh, because that could be quite dangerous it could be quite harmful um, you know interacting with gin and stuff like that we, we believe in the jinn and we believe they are creations of Allah Ta'ala but uh, we should not uh, call unto them and use them etc in this particular manner because that could be a, a issue that leads to great greater harm in the future but if it is based on medical issues based on uh, actually treatment that is proven through uh, the medical fraternity then of course it is a means that could be adopted for the treatment of illnesses that a person may have shukran so much for that Sheikh. the following question came through us I would like to know if a husband and a wife separated for years without any intervention due to anger or problems within their marriage does this mean that they are no longer married and is the husband still under obligation to nafaka the wife while they are separated they just living apart yeah if they are just living apart and they are just physically separated that does not amount to divorce they are still formally married and it will continue like that until a formal divorce is issued either from the husband's side or when the wife uh, obviously uh, makes an application for the marriage to be annulled which is called a a fasakh so being the case that they are still married it means that all the laws of marriage still applies right all the ma- the laws of marriage still applies so he still needs to give nafaka to her and let's say he wants her to come home and he wants her to be in the house and she should oblige to that because they are still married etc all the laws of nikah will still apply and the only time that some of those laws may fall away is if she actually goes against what his wishes is and let's say she rebels against what the laws of the car actually dictates so let's say he says to her look we've been separated for a week now or two weeks to try to clear our minds but i feel you should come back home now because we need to sort things out and she then says to him no but i don't want to come home then at that point she is rebelling against the laws of nikah okay she should be going back and she should oblige uh, and of course we're talking in normal circumstances not not in circumstances where she fears a life or like that because if that is the case then she's allowed to stay away if she fears a life or she fears bodily harm or like that that is a different case we, we're talking in normal circumstances so after a week or two when they were separated he says to her please come home because I think it will be best for us now to work on our marriage while we are together in our own common place where we used to stay and she says now I don't want to come home then at that point she has now obviously uh, overstepped the boundary as far as the laws of nikah is concerned and from that point onwards he can then refuse to give her nafaka he can refuse to give her what she is normally due because she is not then fulfilling or complying to what the marriage actually expects from her but other than that let's say they are separated but she's not they agreed on that they agreed to be separate for, for a while in that circumstance he is still obliged to pay whatever nafaka uh, he would have given her because she must still survive she must still eat she must still live he must still do all of that as far as he possibly can because they are still married technically until a divorce is passed as i mentioned shukran so much for that Sheikh. do note that the sms line 47913 that is the number in which you can send through a question through to our sms line if you want Sheikh to answer inshallah alternatively you can also email me jasmina at vocfm.co.za for now we break for ads and when we come back we'll continue with the program stay tuned Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program Questions and Answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and in studio we've got none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moas answering all of your questions this evening. Some of the other questions that came through Sheikh says Assalamu alaikum. Can Sheikh advise what the duty of the parents are once children start working and is the daughter supposed to keep her money or must they contribute towards the household until they are married? 
the general rule here is that once children become adults and they become responsible and they become financially independent, then at that moment uh, the parents are no longer obliged to actually look after them or to care for them financially and so on because they can actually look after themselves. So if uh, these uh, grown-up children are still living in the house and they are uh, earning money, uh, parents have a right to request from them to contribute towards the household uh, if they are still living with their parents. Uh, uh, because that is obviously the, 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 the right thing to do as well. As a child, you should obviously then also be able to assist your parents, especially if they are in need of that assistance. All the time they have looked after you. So now that you are working and you are earning some money, it is only right that you also plow back into the family and give back to uh, the family the way that your parents had done to you when you were unable to do that. Okay. So the responsibility of parents basically stop the moment that uh, children become independent financially and responsible and they become adults. Uh, from that mo- point onwards, uh, they become obviously um, not liable. The parents are not liable any longer to really look after uh, after those children because they can look after themselves. And I remember just uh, if one looks at the past, at how uh, our parents, for example, they would always tell us that whenever they used to work, they used to come home and just give off the packet to the mother. You know, They never used to even take money from it. And this is really adab. You know, This is really etiquette of children towards parents that uh, if they are living still in the room uh, under the same roof of their parents and they are not married they don't have any other obligations then it is obviously uh, only right you know that they honor their parents in that way and that they and this is what they used to do in those days you know they used to they had to have they used to have so much respect for their parents that they used to just come home and give off the packet as it was called you know give off the packet of the salary to the parents and the parents would then use something for the house give them something to to spend on themselves and so on and this is i think a very very good uh, understanding of how things uh, should work. So uh, just coming back to the original question, yes, you as a parent, you have the right to tell your children that you also have to now invest some money into the house. If you are still living here and you are uh, earning your own money, you have the right obviously to tell them to to give as long as uh, as far as you are concerned and as long as you are the parent and as long as you are in need of that kind of assistance, they should obviously oblige to do that. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is as follows. As is Aslam Lekha, my father is 62 and left my mother when we were all young, Sheikh. I'm one of the children who has forgiven my father, but feel empty as I don't love him as a father, but looks more to him as another man. How do I build a father-son relationship? Yeah, this is uh, something that uh, obviously is going to take some time um, and you should all times, uh, you know, display kindness to him and uh, always do things to please him, you know, as far as you can. He is your father, regardless of what happened in the past, he remains your father and he remains a figure that needs to be respected and uh, needs to be honored. And uh, maybe one of the ways that you can um, initiate things with him is to to build up, you know, a conversation with him uh, around something which is a common interest between the two of you. If you know there's something that he likes for example, a hobby or something that he's into or that he's uh, interested in, uh, perhaps uh, you know do um, go, go go out of your way to initiate conversation with him as far as that is concerned. Uh, I know a lot of parents also they, they, they don't have that ability just to open up to children because all the years it was just like that, you know, they never spoke to children that is just how they were brought up and that is just how they are now with their children um, You know, never really having a conversation or like that and uh, so sometimes it uh, takes courage from the children actually to do uh, something and to initiate a conversation or initiate some kind of dialogue with their parents. So do that uh, and honor them and treat him as best as you can. Do things that pleases him, as I said. And uh, if you do all of these things and you still see that, look, he, he doesn't seem to give a lot of interest. He doesn't seem to reciprocate or to do the same. Uh, at least you've tried and you continue trying. Uh, but don't feel down. Uh, make dua, you know, that Allah should change his heart. And at least you will be rewarded for your efforts by Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala does not let anything go by without taking recognition of it. So you will still be rewarded uh, by Allah Ta'ala for your good efforts. And uh, yes, uh, you are saying that things that happened in the past that made a lot of friction between you and him. Remember Tawbah. If a person makes Tawbah, he can start a clean slate. Allah Ta'ala can forgive anything that a person has done. So if Allah is prepared to forgive like that, we should also. And you are indicating here that you did forgive him, but uh, you forgave him, but uh, just the issue of how to build a relation. So do that, inshallah. Try those things that I've mentioned. Make lots of dua for him. And 
and uh, you know bring a smile to his face bring him some gifts that you think maybe would be uh, useful for him or something that you would love to have the small things that you can afford maybe small little things to cheer him up those are all little ways that you steal his heart as it were you know that is maybe ways that you can build a good relationship with him and whatever you do always respect him and honor him and never try to degrade him or humiliate him in any way Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The SMS line 47913. This is your program, Questions and Answers. The following question came through. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can Sheikh advise when a person turns to Allah and repent and commits the same sin after two years? Does Allah accept repentance again? And how, in time of difficulty, do a person remain steadfast? Okay, so the first part of the question first, is it possible to make repentance and then fall into the same sin later on? Yes, it is quite possible because shaitan and bad company and the environment can all impact on a person's behavior. And that does not mean that Allah Ta'ala did not accept you the first time. Allah accepted you the first time and you slipped up again and Allah Ta'ala is actually prepared to accept you a second time also and a third time. As long as you are consistent in your tawbah and as long as you are sincere, you do uh, sincere Tawbah to Allah Ta'ala Yes Allah Ta'ala is prepared to, to forgive There is actually a hadith that says Ma asarra man istaghfar Wa in'ada fil yawmi sab'ina marrah A person who makes continuous istighfar He will be forgiven by Allah Ta'ala Even if he goes back to the sin 70 times Okay He will be forgiven by Allah Ta'ala Even if he goes back to that sin 70 times Of course this is not an encouragement To do sin And then just to go back to Tawbah And then to do sin again Knowing that Allah will forgive Now Allah knows your intention your intention must not be to go back to the sin your intention must be to stay away and you must try everything to keep yourself away from that sin now once you've done all of that but you still fall back into the sin then at that moment you must pick up courage uh, you know be, have courage in your heart and make tawbah a second time because Allah Ta'ala will forgive you a second and a third and a fourth time because Allah Ta'ala is Ghafoorur Rahim as long as you are sincere in your heart and you don't play around with the rules of Allah Ta'ala the second part of the question is so how does a person remain steadfast in a time of difficulty because this may happen you may toba but unfortunately uh, uh, due to bad company due to whatever environment you fell back into it so how do I remain steadfast one of the best things that I can tell you is uh, that uh, for a person to remain steadfast is to try to be in good company try to be in, in company of people that can uh, positively influence your life Allah says in Surah Toba and this is uh, interesting we're speaking about Toba and I'm quoting a verse from Surah Toba which is the surah that speaks about repentance and in this uh, surah Allah Ta'ala gives us like a remedy what can one do and Allah Ta'ala says Ya amanu wa sadiqeen. this is chapter 9 verse 119 Allah says oh you believe fear Allah be conscious of him and be with those people who are truthful meaning be in the company of people that are truthful so it comes in surah Tawbah it's for me an indication that part of your Tawbah is to always be in the company of good people because they will positively influence your life and keep you away from wrong and uh, restrain you from doing a thing that you ordinarily would have done if you were alone so that is the best advice that I can give always to keep good company after your repentance and inshallah through that Allah Ta'ala hopefully will protect you Shukran so much for that Sheikh with that we break for us and when we come back we'll wrap up the show stay tuned Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moas Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson. And in studio, we've got none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Umus answering all of your questions. You can send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, send through an email, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Some of the questions coming through, Sheikh says, Assalamu Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I am married 15 years and have been struggling financially for my entire marriage, resulting in one problem after the other, as there is so much pressure on me. I am tempted to reach out to someone else, as I know this person does not demand much from me. Can Sheikh advise as I am at my wit's end? 
Yeah, uh, we said we spoke about this earlier on um, the importance of uh, having uh, discussions around financial uh, obligations within a marriage, and how a couple should sit down and work out, you know, how they can progress within their marriage and how they can help one another and assist one another. And uh, I get the feeling here that uh, the wife, you know, she's putting too much pressure on the husband and making demands uh, from him that is above his means. You know, you should know that uh, by doing that, you are causing a great difficulty for your husband, and it may lead to relationship that is not working out and may lead to arguments which I'm sure it does uh, because you say you're married for 15 years and I'm, if this is all the time it, it, it becomes too much for a person to handle so uh, I, if it's the, from the wife that is doing this I would like to ask her to be more sensitive and to be more understanding with the husband uh, if he is trying his best if he is a working person but he does not earn that much or he can't give you everything that you want uh, just remember that the material things that we have in life is something that comes and goes you may have it today tomorrow you don't but to have a good hard-working husband that gives you love and compassion and that gives you respect you know that is much greater than the material things that you perhaps are, are after and in terms of um, the husband that is struggling I want to say to him that uh, you should put your trust in Allah and continue what you are doing inshallah work as hard as you can and make the hajjud you know in the middle of the night stand up in the middle of the night and ask Allah Ta'ala to improve your financial status Allah Ta'ala has power over over everything he can change your circumstance in an instant it, it doesn't cost him anything but uh, sometimes he wants to see our sincerity and see our commitment to him and to our deen so uh, I think uh, do that make uh, tahajjud and in your tahajjud make lots of istighfar you know make a uh, lot of uh, istighfar meaning seek forgiveness from Allah Ta'ala abundantly there's verses in the Quran that shows that by seeking forgiveness by Allah Ta'ala abundantly Allah Ta'ala will shower you with his blessings in the verse in Surah, to, uh, Surah Nuh, there's a chapter that Allah speaks about Nabi Nuh والسلام, Allah says here, and Nabi Nuh said to his people He said to his people uh, seek forgiveness of your Lord because he's oft forgiving If you do this Allah Ta'ala will send for you water in abundance from the sky and Allah Ta'ala through your seeking of forgiveness Allah Ta'ala will give you uh, wealth and Allah Ta'ala will give you children meaning istighfar has that effect you know if you if you humble yourself in front of Allah and acknowledge your shortcomings Allah Ta'ala will open his doors of bounties to you so do that as a husband and ask Allah Ta'ala to make your condition a bit better and for the wife as I said, try to have patience with your husband, especially if he's a hardworking man. That is a very honorable thing that he keeps on working and he brings income that is halal. And if he cares for you and he shows compassion to you, that is much more than what money can buy. You find people are financially stable, they have a lot of money and material things, but they don't have honor, they don't have integrity, they don't speak to each other well, they don't treat each other well. So obviously, uh, the situation that I've described is much better if you have a husband that at least gives you those things. May Allah Ta'ala give sabr, inshallah, in the hearts of the these people that are facing these difficulties. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. Then the last question that came through says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I am 55 and is at a point of my life where I want to study Deen. Even though I have a good income, I am over indebted and this fearful of leaving my job as I can't afford to pay towards studies. What do I do? Yeah, it is not a condition that you leave your job in order to study. Uh, you don't have to study full time. Uh, at your age, uh, you know, if you are not able to sustain yourself except by working, then you should continue working and you can still obviously study. There's so many programs and classes and courses that are offered in our city and in all the masajid and by the institutes that you can do uh, over weekends or part time in the evenings. You know, you, there's no shortage of these causes. So you should not deprive yourself and say that you want to do it full-time, otherwise you're not going to do it at all. That should not be your attitude. You should do it part-time. And inshallah, through that, Allah Ta'ala will empower you until such a time when you feel that you are financially able now to leave your job and actually pursue full-time studies. At that time, you can make a different decision. But at this point in time, you should not leave your job, but rather you should pursue studies in a, in a, a part-time on a part-time basis. That will obviously be much better. And if your intentions are pure, you will see Allah Ta'ala will put barakah in your seeking of knowledge and in your rizq and will give you exactly that which your heart 
desires inshallah shukran so much for that Sheikh. on that note that brings us to the end of our program shukran so much to each and everyone tuned in this evening as well as everyone sending through their questions Sheikh shukran once again for taking time out to do this for us and to answer all of these questions in studio this evening jazakumullah khairan to you sister yasmina and to all our listeners until we meet in one week's time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh from myself yasmina abidju assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi Allahi wa barakatuh.